if you know him, it's, uh, you know Pastor Robert Mize? How many of you know Pastor Robert? Okay, he's one of the pastors here at Cathedral of Faith, and he's the only one that's actually been at Cathedral longer than I have. And I started in 1977 with Faith Temple, and then we moved over here to this property at Cathedral of Faith. And so I was put on staff full-time in 1983. And he was here before that time. And so because the way things change, people come and go. Pastor Robert and I, we go to lunch almost every day. So people see me and they see Pastor Robert. And so he went to the Philippines on a missions trip. But I know human nature, and I told him, people are going to ask me where you're at. I'm going to tell them you got arrested for drugs, but you had to go to the Philippines. <laughs> and so he goes, for real? You're gonna do I go, yeah, because I don't know why people do that. So I went to a local restaurant this week, and I, I was eating my food. And I mean, if I got my phone on and listened to music and my AirPods, then I don't really want to communicate. And so the server, she comes up and she goes, um, hey. I go, yes. And she goes, uh, is everything okay? And I go, with the food? Yeah, food's fine. She goes, no, uh, you're kind of riding solo. And I just went along with it. And I go, what the heck is that supposed to mean, riding solo? And she goes, well, you, you know, you're, you're by yourself. Your friend's not here. And so I didn't talk. I just looked at her and she said, well, where is he? And I go, oh, you know what? We got into a big old argument. <laughs> and she goes, about what? And I go, about you. Because <laughs> you're always asking all these questions. And I said, no, he went to the Philippines. But when I came in and I was ordering, the, the other girl goes, uh, what's going on? I go, with what? Where's your friend? Because I go, none of the guys come up and go, hey, bro, where's your friend? Because guys don't care, but women got to know. And so the girl's serving me. She goes, so where's your friend? I go, where did that guy go? He was just here. And I lean in. Now, this is an establishment where police go to eat. There's always groups of detectives or police, and they're eating. And I go, and she leans over the counter towards me. I go, he got busted. She goes, for what? Drug, drugs, and all the cops look. <laughs> I go, so he hightailed it to the Philippines. And because you asked, because you asked, I'm starting a GoFundMe page to get some money to bail him out. <laughs> they were laughing, and I go, what is it with people? Another restaurant I went to, same thing. Is everything okay? And I go, with what? Where's your friend? I go, what is it with you guys? But like I say, I don't know why women do that, but men usually don't. Guys, it just doesn't phase them. You know, you're, so you're eating alone, you're eating alone, big deal. I have a sermon tonight, and it's called The Complaining Has to Stop. And I was wrestling with this, and instead of me talking so much about you should stop complaining, then it would sound like I was complaining that you were complaining. And I'm not going to do that. But that's exactly what it's about, and I'm going to explain to you why. In Philippians 2, 4 through 5, we have this scripture that says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. It's kind of challenging for us in our culture to just look at our own interests. We all we want to always be involved in what other people are doing. You know, where are you going? Where'd you go on vacation? I went to the dentist to for uh, hygiene this week, and the dentist, the doctor, saw me. Hey, Mike, how's it going? I go, it's going good. How was your weekend? I go, it was great. And uh, then I went in to see the hygienist, and I got in the chair, and she goes, how's everything going? Mike goes, good. She goes, how was your weekend? <laughs> it was good. And then every time you get your teeth clean, the dentist has to come in and do his own check, make sure everything's still there and working good. And he goes, Mike, it's good to see you. How was your weekend? I'm not complaining, but I wanted to say, was that the only question you guys have? You don't know what to say? But how is it, how can we look more <clears throat> to the interests of others? Whether they're in our educational level, in our social level, in our financial level, or they're just different than us. Their skin color's different, they talk different, their mannerisms are different. Maybe they're not friendly neighbors. How can we, all of us, start to consider their interests more than just ours? This verse is about not making my own interest the one and only object of life, but regarding also the interests, feelings, and wishes of others. The true obstacle to unity of heart and mind is not based on differences of opinion, but it's due to selfishness, and it's due to vanity. Vanity means... You know, I'm the only one that matters. And that's not true. Shifting attention away from myself to others, which, of course, is what Jesus did, is the key to Christian unity. And this is what God is after. This is what he had the Apostle Paul write about. Christian unity. Say that with me. Christian unity. Us letting the world see how much we love each other. How much we actually care about each other. So when service is over, we don't just get up and walk out and not talk to anyone. We want to have Christian unity. There was a monk who joined a monastery, and he took a vow of silence. After the first 10 years, his superior called him in and asked, do you have anything to say? And the monk replied, food bad. After another 10 years, the monk again had an opportunity to voice his thoughts, and he said, bed hard. Another 10 years went by, and again he was called in before his superior. And when asked if he had anything to stay, he responded, I quit. And his superior said, it doesn't surprise me a bit. You've done nothing but complain ever since you got here. <laughs> if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude. Don't complain. He said, what's so bad about complaining? Well, like we said, it has a lot to do with your attitude. Everything, as you know now, is not going to go the way you want it to. You can go on an expensive vacation and it rains. What are you going to do, leave? Can't go to the beach? You have to make the best of it. That's just life. So, why is complaining bad for us? There's a quote that says, there's some people who always seem angry and continuously look for conflict. 
walk away. The battle they're fighting isn't with you. It's with themselves. You don't need to get in an argument with anyone. They cut in front of you on the freeway and they don't signal. Let it go because if you get into road rage, one of you is going to get hurt. And they're going to say, well, why, why did you do this? What are you going to say? If people are in a rush and a bad mood or yelling at you, just let it go. It's not really that important. So why would complaining about something be considered bad for us? One reason is that we've been made in the image of God. How many realize that? God created you and he made you in his image. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Know ye not, the Bible says, that God's Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. God's Holy Spirit actually lives inside of you. His Spirit lives within us. We should therefore be joyous. We have the Holy Spirit of God. And there is no one never has been, never will be greater than the Holy Spirit of God. Come on, give my hand a praise. But another reason complaining is bad for us is because it opens a door for Satan to come in. And he resides where there's no peace, where there is strife, where there's aggravation, where there's whining and complaining. Demons love that atmosphere. He resides where there's no gratitude. He resides where there's no joy. I'm not saying that you're going to be possessed by a demonic spirit, but you may certainly act like you have one. So we have to do everything we can to not open the portal or the door for a demon to come in. Demons love anger. Everyone that's come in and wanted a demon cast out was angry. They're just angry. They're just mad. So people who are like that, Maybe they're hell's angels. I don't know. Maybe they're gangbangers. I don't know. But people that are angry, they don't like to be the only ones angry. They want to pull you down and get you angry also. So God doesn't want us complaining. Would you say with me, praise God? Praise God. Now, I don't want you to be like that guy that was tiptoeing through the tulips. But when things go bad, I just want you to say, hey, praise God. Because God's still in control. Well, why did I get a flat tire on the way to work? Praise God. God's still in control. Well, I went into work and they gave me my pink slip. Praise God. He's got a better job for me. You see, come on. Well, I was told to go to this salon because the woman knows how to cut hair and she ruined my hair. Praise God. <laughs> It's going to grow back. It's going to grow back. So instead of us becoming like the world, we shouldn't complain. We should actually tell our Savior or thank him. Not for the situation, but in the situation. In other words, have a thankful attitude. People are attracted to people who smile and who are thankful for so much. So how was your weekend? Great, but why do you guys keep asking me the same question? <laughs> Where's your friend? He got arrested. For what? Who cares? People, they just want to get into your life. And so we have to learn to be better children of God. They don't know you're a Christian, but guess who knows? The Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul 
refers us to the supreme example of unselfishness and humility. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was unselfish. He bids us to mind the things which the Lord Jesus minded, to love what Jesus loves, to hate what Jesus hates. The thoughts, desires, motives of the Christian should be the thoughts, desires, and motives which fill the sacred heart of Jesus, our Lord. How do I get this mind? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How do I get that mind in me? How do I become like that? One way is to go back to reading the Word of God. If you don't get this in your mind, your mind is not going to change because you're filling it with too much of media, the television, the music, and everything. And that's okay if that's your, your as they say, is that your bag or that's your thing. But the Word of God acts like a filter. It acts like a sieve that cleanses out all the garbage and puts the right thoughts in your mind. Come on, give God a hand of praise. So, to have the mind of Christ requires knowing the mind of Christ. How could anyone, anyone, look into the mind of Christ? Through the miracles of inspiration, the next three verses usher us into the inner workings of God's mind. We get an inside look at the mindset that puts in motion his journey from the high point of heavenly majesty to the low point of earthly humiliation and the cross. Jesus had no beginning, had no end. But since before there was time, the Father told Jesus that you will leave heaven, not be kicked out, but you're coming down to the earth. You're going to be born as a human, as a man. And you're going to die for people who don't care about you, who don't love you, and who don't want anything to do with you. Jesus knew that. And the Bible says in this same chapter, Philippians chapter 2, that though he was equal with God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be demanded. So when Jesus was on this earth, he wasn't running around as a child growing up until he started his ministry. He wasn't around trying to impress all the other kids with miracles and things that he could do. The Bible says that Jesus went about doing good and healing the sick and opening blinded eyes, unstopping deaf ears, raising the dead. And someone said, if you really want to see what Jesus is, what God is like, look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus did. And one of his disciples, Philip, said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long and still you do not know the Father? He who has seen me has seen the Father. We wouldn't know that if we never read the Word of God. The more we read the Word of God, the more we get an idea of what Jesus is like and what we are supposed to be like. To have the mind of Christ requires knowing the mind of Christ. And how could anyone look into the mind of Christ? So we, you and I, must strive to imitate him, to reproduce his image, not only in the outward, but even in the inner life. Especially here, we are bidden to follow his unselfishness and humility. 
bring humility back into a home where there's a married couple and things will have a drastic change because you're more important than I am. I'm not always right. You're also right. Bring an unselfishness. Let me do that for you. Let me help. What got into you? Jesus got into me. Jesus is the one that's teaching all of us. So, well, you don't understand. I'm German. That's my people. I'm Mexican. It has nothing to do with it. People ask me, watch this. Are you a Mexican Christian or are you a Christian Mexican? I say, look, let me tell you something. The old Mike Garcia, he died. He's no longer alive. Come on, give God a hand of praise. That Mike Garcia, the drug addict, all that stuff, he's gone. He's dead. This is the new Mike Garcia, that Christ lives in him, and he lives his life for Jesus Christ. Come on. So don't ask me, are you a Mexican Christian? What is that? What are you driving at? What is it you want? I don't want to be known so I can be accepted by the world. I want to be known, even if you reject me, so I can be accepted by God. And so as you read the Word of God, as you come to church, as you listen to scriptures and sermons, the Word of God gets in you, and it should be transforming the way you think. So what you did before, guess what? You shouldn't do that anymore. You should be a different person. People, like when I've gone back to Southern California where I'm from, hey, I remember you, bro. <laughs> I go, no, you don't. There's those people that always want to bring up your past. They always want to remind you of what you were like. Someone in my family even made a statement about my lifestyle before Jesus. And I turned to that person and I said, I'm going to say this to you one time and only one time. Don't ever bring up my past. I am a born-again Christian. I died and I came alive to Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what I'm asking you to do, to recognize I want to be like Christ, not like them or that or this. I want to be like Jesus. Give God a real hand of praise. Okay, then, so now we look at what is our real reason for complaining? What is the real reason of why we, children of God, actually complain? It's because we feel that we don't have what we deserve. Therefore, someone is to blame, and that someone has to be God. On the contrary, how many realize that if God gave us what we really deserve, we would be dead? Where did everybody go? For the wages of sin is what? Death. And I'm a sinner saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. So a sinner is actually up here preaching to you. I haven't arrived. I haven't, you know, had a glimpse of what heaven's like. God hasn't patted me on the back and said, you know what, man? You've been a good Christian for a number of years. I don't know how close I am to God. All I know is that I want what Jesus has for me, and I don't ever want to lose it. Come on. But here's the actual problem, and this is what's going to get to you. It's not easy to swallow the pill of you're not important. 
whoa, 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 what are you talking about? You're not. You're not all that important. If you feel you do not have what you deserve, then look at it this way. What one has, one doesn't want, and what one wants, was one doesn't have. Turn to someone right now and tell them, there's only one God and you're not him. You're not God, and neither am I. And so one thing that makes it difficult for us to serve God as Christians is we still want to be in control, and you're not. And the sooner you accept that, the less resistant you become, and the more exuberant and excited you are about being a blessing to others. How many know bad things do happen to good people? Come on. Okay, don't clap on that. Please don't clap on that. <laughs> but it does. It does happen to us. We get sick. You know, we do lose our job. We do get a flat tire. We do get in accidents. The police do pull us over when we're driving. But that doesn't mean God is punishing us. God, through Jesus Christ, is not going to punish us. We are living in an age of grace. He's more willing to love us into his kingdom, not beat us into the kingdom. This is why when we preach, we don't yell at you, and we don't beat you down so that you walk out and go, golly, I don't know if I'm happy being a Christian or not. <laughs> we want to bless you into the kingdom of God. I will proclaim to you this good news, however. When you make God important, he makes you important. Come on. How much is it going to take? How much? How many pair of shoes is necessary to make you happy? How many do you really need to have? There's husbands right now elbowing their wives. <laughs> My point is, who are we competing with? Okay? How many cars does a person really need to have? If you can't take anything with you, why are you amassing so much? There's no room in your garage, and there's no room in the storage that you have, and you're paying the storage to take care of it, but you never go check on it. They say if you haven't worn something in a year, you're never going to wear it. And it's not going to come back in style. <laughs> so what is so difficult for us in releasing something, letting it go, because there's poor people who can use the clothes that we have, that we're not wearing. There's poor people who can use the shoes that we have, that we're not wearing. If you would just go through your closets and take things out that you're not wearing, I promise you this. I've seen it in my own life. The more you give away to bless the poor, the more God gives you to bring you back up to where you were before. <laughs> God is not in the habit of taking things from his children. And whenever he, the world takes things from us, and I'm blessing you with this, God is going to give it back to you. Pressed down, shaken up, and running over shall they pour into your bosom. Come on. 
but don't tell them how to do it. Come on, I have been waiting, I haven't got it back yet. Don't do that. How much money is enough money? Money does not buy security because security doesn't come from money. Security comes from God. So how much money is enough money? Why must we always have the latest and the greatest? What is it about us? And don't you see how it works? Now when you want something, you know, when I was growing up, you had a, there were catalogs. Whoa, look at that. Whoa, look at that. Now you get online and you click on it and you can have it. You know, I found this out just recently. They will deliver it to you between 4 a.m. and 8 a.m. Because we've got to have it. And then we get it and we're so busy, we don't even look at it or open the box until later on this week in the weekend. But why do we have to have the latest and the greatest? Well, because he does. Well, because he does. Why is it so necessary to impress people who really don't even know our name? I've said, you spend money that you don't have to purchase things you can't afford to impress people that you really don't like. Why? It's not necessary that people's estimate of us increase because of what we have because we're not going to take it with us anyway and what we do have I heard you say it earlier God gave it to me and you know church if God gives you something no one can take it away from you and if they do and if they do he's in the habit of restoring seven times what was taken from you he will bless you and give it back and I'll tell you why. You're not going to be as excited about you got it back. You're going to be more excited about how real he is, that he would do that for you, that he actually knows you. He actually cares about you. You know, when people come up and maybe they'll shake my hand and leave some money there or come up in a restaurant and they'll say, I go, can I have the ticket, please? And they'll say, uh, Somebody paid for it, but they already left. So they really don't want you to know who they were, but they paid for your and Linda's meal. That's actually God saying, I'm thinking about you. I love you, and I want you to realize that. Because really, what could replace the living God on this earth? What? What could this earth actually give you that only God can give? Why can't we learn to push God and others to the forefront instead of clawing our way to the most important seat in the house? The Bible says it's better to sit in the back and that the host says, what are you doing sitting back there? And he comes back there and gets you and brings you to the front and says, sit here by me. Instead of you sitting there by him and says, what are you doing here? And he takes you all the way to the back in front of everybody. Instead of complaining, why can't you just give it to God and leave it in his hands? That's what I'm asking you to do. Whatever you're challenged with, whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, give it to God and leave it in his hands. I used to say, give it to God and go to sleep. There's no sense two of you being up all night. He says, I got this. Just go to sleep. God is going to take care of us. Amen? He's going to provide everything that we need. Amen? Well, it went down there, so I'm going to try this again. It was amen and then amen. So we're going to try this again. God is going to take care of us. Yeah. 
He's going to provide everything that we need. And maybe not what we want, but he will meet all our needs. Give him a hand of praise. And no one gets anything by complaining. You can't chew with someone else's teeth. So stop complaining and appreciate what you have. I've said this before. How many of you ever took a piece of meat? Back then for me it was bologna. And put it in a slice of bread and rolled the bread up. And that was good. How many remember that? Okay, so to get a little bit more current. How many, all you had was a tortilla and a hot dog, but you cooked the hot dog through and you rolled it all up. And that was good because that's all you had. Okay? This is what I'm asking you to do. To enjoy what you have. Instead, how come they get steak and we have to eat a hot dog? Are you still alive? Do you have teeth to chew with? Maybe you don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> Matthew 7:18 says that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. But what we have learned is this. Jesus is the supreme example of humility and selfless concern for others. And so believers are exhorted to have the same attitude, selfless humility. Christ exhibited in his humiliation and his condescension. He, the living son of God, the king of kings, came down here. Growing up, he got dust in his eyes. He sweated, he got tired, he would fall asleep. But he never went around trying to prove that he was God. He was an actual man. So when he was here, he wasn't all God, or he was all God and he was all man, but he didn't claim the right of being God. When he went to the cross and those soldiers beat him, stabbed him with the spear, the crown of thorns on his head, he was all man. He felt that pain for you. And someone said, it wasn't the nails that kept him up on the cross. Because Jesus looked into the future. And he saw you. He saw you. He saw you. And he said, I want them with me and my Father in heaven. And he stayed on the cross because he knew that sooner or later, you were gonna get tired of this life and you were gonna surrender your life to him and make him your Lord and your savior. Come on. So if the Bible exhorts us to have the same attitude of Christ, it is possible by God's grace. It is something we should strive to attain, but not in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is beneficial for us, for it highly encourages us to be totally God-dependent and not independent. Our society and our culture do not encourage this type of mindset. I want you to really this time, we didn't do it last week, I want you to break up in groups of four, not two, not three, but four. Not 19, 
Groups of four, go ahead and pray for each other. Pray for each other out loud. Go ahead, do it now. Okay, church, look at Pastor Mike. I thank you so much for coming here. I thank you for praying. I thank you for actually listening to this. If I get up and leave right away, it's because I think, uh-oh, that didn't go over good. I better get out of here quick. But I know that's not true. If there's anything I want to communicate to you especially, is that God loves you. He loves you so much. Come on. And if you think he doesn't really love you, it's not him telling you that. It's him. But tell him. You're a big liar. Why I have you pray with others is so that you get to meet people and you realize they're actually going through the same thing as I am. They're just like me. So that you learn to feel comfortable here. I want you to sleep tonight like you've never slept. I want you to literally wake up more beautiful than you really are. I want you to get a big raise tomorrow at work. And I want people to recognize how important you really are to God. Good night. God bless you.